Welcome, Sexplorers, to episode four of Sexplorations with me, your host, Adelina Adler. On the last episode, we talked a bit about some norms in romantic relationships, and we touched on the differences between commitment and exclusivity, and even posited that significant intimacy and devotion can exist for more than one person in our lives. Now, today, we're taking a look at characteristics of a healthy, functional, sexual-slash-romantic-slash-intimate relationship. I'm going to tell you right now, this is going to be a long, deep episode. So, uh, strap in your strap-ons and get ready, because we're going to go deep into that headspace. We're going to go nice and deeper and deeper and, uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, get to a lot of juicy things. That's right, this is going to be a longer episode. Also, just a forewarning at a time, I've been feeling a little, <laughs> a little sicky. So, I'm going to do my best to uh, withhold my disgustingness from you guys and cough away from the microphone as best as I can and smother it in this blanket of mine. So, grab yourself a nice little robe or blankie, light some incense, light some candles, and uh, let's go. So we love definitions on this channel. If you've been listening to our extensive episodes, you already know that um, we really, really like operant definitions. So I feel like a good place to start is uh, looking at what is a relationship? Now, on a broad spectrum, a uh, relationship can be defined as a connection between things, whether it be concepts, objects, or persons. But in this case, we're most certainly talking about interpersonal relationships, and that's person-to-person relationships and connections. Now, the two we're going to focus on for this episode specifically are romantic and sexual. Mm, yes. So, uh, romantic relationships are uh, interpersonal relationships characterized by attraction and uh, love. Um, now, when we talk about attraction, this still applies to um, asexuals because attraction doesn't necessarily imply a physical or sexual draw. Um, and that's important to distinguish right off the bat here because a lot of people conflate attraction and uh, give it a denotation automatically of like sex and lust kind of thing. But uh, attraction can be sparked mentally by interest, curiosity, satisfaction. Um, it's, it's all based on your basic dopamine and serotonin reward system. So when you're attracted to something, there's something that's lighting up those hormones in your brain. And uh, there's something about some people that satisfy or fulfills something within you and makes you feel good. As for defining love, Dios mio. That's a doozy. And uh, we're probably going to give that concept in itself its whole episode it's of its own because it's just, oh, honey, it's a lot. <laughs> Even in this one, we had a, had a hard time coming up with some definitions here. So love, love gets its own thing. Now, when we talk about sexual um, relationships, this one's a little bit easier. It's an interpersonal relationship characterized by sexual attraction and engagement. It doesn't require love. Love can be a part of it, though, but it doesn't require it. That's that's something to denote there. Now, the characteristics we'll be describing today will be able to translate into any healthy relationship. You're going to find a lot of um, translatable features that you can use to kind of nurture uh, any interpersonal relationships in your life. Now, 
a lot of these characteristics work towards building a sense of trust. Trust is important because in, there's a little hierarchy I have created of needs over here, of intimacy needs. So in order for you to be able to achieve intimacy, I posit that you've got to be first and foremost, have trust. Without trust, there can be no love. As was said by a wise and narcoleptic Argentinian. <laughs> a little Moulin Rouge humor for, for my for my rom-com people out there. I don't know. But yes, without trust, relationships in general can't exist, I think. They can't exist in a healthy way. Because in order for you to have security, you have to be able to have trust. If you can't trust your surroundings, if you can't trust your partner, if you can't trust the environment you're in, there's no way you're going to ever be able to feel secure. Uh, so, I mean, not, not just follows. So next, after you have your security, you're able to be able to let down your guards and um, expose your vulnerabilities. So when you have your vulnerabilities out there, you can then translate towards intimacy. The environment is proper. And now you feel like it's okay. I can trust you with these parts of myself. So trust leads to security leads to vulnerability, which leads to intimacy. What I brought with me today here as a reference is um, these 12 characteristics. It's a list of 12 characteristics. It comes from Campbell University, which is a private Baptist university right here in North Kakalaki, little North Carolina. And uh, so it follows that there are, uh, are some biases that are colored by that there in some of these descriptions. But I thought overall it was a pretty solid list for what we want to address here. Some descriptions they give are a bit problematic or incomplete. So I'll be offering my perspective and occasionally pointing out where they fall short and well, what they did good and what they did well. So again, we're going to look at these relationships uh, characteristics from the romantic side as well as the sexual side. Now this list begins by saying that a healthy, functional, intimate relationship is based on equality and respect versus power and control. And you know what? Hell yeah. I love that. That's a good start. We like this. <laughs> we definitely agree with that. Again, I will say that it is also based on trust out of all of these things as well i would add trust to that opening statement there so the first of the 12 characteristics in a healthy relationship is honesty and accountability basically tell the truth the whole truth don't hide stuff and fess up to your mess ups that's right sometimes we feel very apprehensive about sharing certain mistakes we've made or admitting to certain mistakes we've made in the past. That's accountability, though. We need to be accountable for the things we uh, fall short on. To err is human. It is perfectly acceptable to fail sometimes, as long as we have the intention to try to own that and make it better. So this is, this is tantamount. This is a good 
foundational piece that everything else builds off of. You want to come into a relationship not with ulterior motives or, or any cards up your sleeves. Be you. Be true. <laughs> I'm basically Dr. Seuss here. Be you and be true. Bring your best. Approach life with uh, integrity here. You don't want to... You don't want to be Aladdin. You know what? Yeah, just be yourself. Don't lie to the princess. <laughs> now, how can we make it sexy? Let's let's do this. Let's make honesty and accountability, but make it sexy. And basically, in, in, in regards to sexual relationships, hey, be, be upfront about your sexual history, your expectations, your comfort zones, boundaries. We talked about this last time. Any STIs you have. That's really important. Any other partners you may currently be seeing. Put it out there without shame. Put it out there without shame. Just be upfront. If it's meant to be, you're going to find your people. You're going to find people who accept you. And even if the ideas that you bring forward or the history that you have may be a little troubling to a new partner, the fact that you are open and honest about it is already cementing the way for a positive engagement forward. Like, they might be like, whoa, okay, I mean, I've only been with like five people and you've been with like 500. I don't know if I can match up to your experience. I'm, I'm, a, little, I'm a little intimidated. But because you shared this with me, you didn't hide it. I mean, this is a good start to building a foundation of trust. So when we go forward, I'm counting on you to tell the truth. If you're not hiding things now, I'm hoping you won't hide things from me in the future. Who doesn't want that? All right, the second one now here is open communication. Guys, this one is paramount. This one is amazing. Uh, don't be afraid to talk to your partner about things you feel or opinions you have, even if they might not agree with you. Tell them what makes you happy, what doesn't make you happy. Don't be afraid. Again, trust is integral. And this, of course, kind of jumps and depends on uh honesty and and accountability here you want to be able to communicate openly and honestly and uh without fear of being shamed here we go tying it to the whole theme of the series here without fear of being shamed for expressing these things if someone does try to shame you or savage you for expressing yourself in an honest and a considered way you know what that's that's a red flag that's a red flag. Um, open communication is essential. You want to constantly check in. Be be frank. Be upfront. And uh, let's see how we make it sexy, though, because uh, that's a fun part here. In the bedroom, guys. Even even before you even get there, don't be afraid to express your likes and dislikes. Again, comfort zones, limits. How you like it when they asphyxiate you a little bit. Huh? How they don't like how you don't like it when they choke you. Speak up when when you need a mid-sex water break, or if there's a weird smell that's bothering you and making 69 a bit weird. You now everyone could just take a nice shower. Don't fear judgment. You'll usually be surprised to find that the more comfortable you are, the more comfortable they'll be. Such candid behavior in my experience, tends to disarm apprehensions and reservation where it exists. It makes you 
just as human as they are in, in their perception. And that can be so relieving for people when they're not preoccupied with impressing one another, when we can, when we're not preoccupied with impressing one another, when we can just be human and be vulnerable and a little practical, <laughs> it's such a relief. It is such a relief. And again, someone judges you, someone yucks your yum, another red flag. We're putting a red flag on that one. Lagging it. So negotiation and fairness is number three. And again, here we have a contractual kind of language that, um, you know, we discussed in the last episode, but with contractual agreements, but this is something that happens and it's ongoing throughout the relationship. You're going to talk and adapt to one another as we, as we live together, as we grow and experience things, experience challenges and certain curves in the road on our journey together, there are going to be times where we need to readjust, improvise, adapt, overcome. <laughs> and um, in order to do that, we're going to have to adapt to one another. Now, sometimes this negotiation happens at the cost of a, or through the avenue of argument. Now, uh, when people hear that, it's, it is a very, uh, it's a troubling word. Uh, in his TED Talk, For Argument's Sake, Daniel H. Cohen talks about different uh, argument types. And the type he notes is the most popular one that we use. It's the one that we tend to think of the most is the dialectical model, which is arguments as war. So in this type of argument, there's a winner and then there's a sucker. There's a loser. And usually uh, this leads to dead ends. Like it's not really constructive. Nothing has been necessarily achieved. Hooray, your opinion came out on top. But what's the cost? When we're in a relationship that's healthy, we don't want to see our partners as antagonists. We're not us versus them. We're supposed to be a, a unit. A relationship is supposed to, again, like we said in the beginning of this list, be based on equality and respect versus power and control. And when we do argument as war, what we are vying for is power and control. We want the certainty of our truth, of our position to be victorious because we have, I mean, there's a certain security in that. There's a certain comfort in being right, isn't there? But when you're and the cost of you being right is at the expense of your partner. That's, there's better ways, guys. How about instead, go into disagreements, seeking to find satisfying resolutions that resolve the issues for hopefully all parties in a satisfactory way, while still respecting and upholding our boundaries and personal integrity which is another thing on this list that we'll get to later now don't be rigid either but don't also be automatically inclined to yield to solutions that leave you feeling cheated i know a lot of uh, more submissive uh types that don't like uh confrontation tend to do this a lot they tend to constantly yield and when they yield that they're constantly sacrificing 
parts of their needs and that's not good in the long run it's not good in the short run either i think a lot of times when we think of uh negotiations and arguments and things like discussions within a relationship we think of the word compromise how many times have we heard that hmm? compromise and sometimes it's it's posited as a very uh as a positive thing because you know both parties kind of win but then again both parties uh, kind of lose and that's Mm, that again that leaves people both people feeling at a loss that, that that puts a punishment on both parties so what's the alternative then how can we approach this differently what i say what i suggest is going into these renegotiations in a mindset of cooperation versus compromise because in compromise both people lose a little, both people win a little, but in cooperation, both people win. Both people win. And it doesn't become uh, my needs versus your needs. It becomes a, hey, here is a situation. Here is an issue, a problem. How can we work together? Using both of our strengths, acknowledging both of our weaknesses and capabilities. How can we work together? to find a way to resolve this. It's team building. It puts you two on the same plane. In order to do this, you gotta get really good at kinda trying to find the heart of the issue and see if there's something within your capacity that you can offer to tend to that need. For example, Brenda is yelling at you because the dishes are not done. And uh, she's like, Gosh darn it, these dishes, <laughs> they're still here. I have so much work and I can't be dealing with this, the kids, the dog, the dishes, ma. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> so identify the core of the need there. Is this really about dishes? No, this is about someone feeling overwhelmed, overwhelmed with their situation. There's a lot that's going on on Brenda's plate right now. She, she needs a little bit of help. And unfortunately in her mind, the way she's seeing it is, I'm doing everything. My partner can't even help me do the freaking dishes. The perception of the amount of effort being put forth becomes skewed a lot of times in these situations. So now that you've examined and identified the core need, which is some relief of that pressure. There is stress, there needs to be acknowledgement of that effort and some alleviation in some way, shape or form. So here are the two routes and compromise. Let's say your situation in this is the reason you haven't been able to do the dishes is you've been, you're pulling two or three jobs. This is, this is common nowadays. You've got a lot of other things going on at those jobs. There's a lot of weird demands, like your bosses are being dicks. Like <laughs> a lot of other things are happening that are taking your spoons. They're taking your efforts and attentions as well. So if you were to do the dishes, it would become a detrimental strain on you as well. And I, I know this isn't the best example because some people are like, well, I mean, I just freaking wash a pan or two. But <laughs> let's say that this task would be over stretching you examine yourself 
What are you able to feasibly give? What is your situation at the moment? And what capacity do you have? What are what resources in, in your in yourself or like in your emotional state, in your practical state, physical state, what resources are available? Think about that. And then well, as you're listening to Brenda, really do listen. Like we're when we when we have discussions, don't sit there listening and, and trying to figure out a counter argument immediately. Truly try to see what's at the crux of what they are saying. Again, that's identifying the core need. So first thing you want to do is acknowledge the other, the other's position. Acknowledge Brenda. I understand you're right, man. I I'm sorry. I haven't been doing the dishes. It's not, I don't mean to leave everything up to you. I know you do so much list off a lot of things that, that Brenda does here. So that they see that, wow, okay, they see me. They, 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 they understand. Baby, I'm sorry I let it get this far. Now, this is where you present your own, your own background, what's going on at work and all these things. This is what's been going on. It's not, I, I didn't mean to let it get this far or this bad. This is bringing it to a mutual ground. You've acknowledged, you haven't brushed off her needs. You've said this, you've presented a reason why you've, you've been, you haven't been able to do the task that was initially brought up and you'd be like, oh, look, I, I see you're overworked and see, here you go. Now you're addressing the core need. I see you're, you're overwhelmed, honey. Oh, hun. And then maybe if you want, if they're okay with it, this is where you put a little arm over them or something. And, um, you say, I, I, I see that you're overwhelmed. Hey, let's, let's figure something out. Okay. Um, what can we do in this situation? I would offer to, to help with the dishes at, at this point in time be like look what can we tackle together what what immediate things in our control can we prepare for or eliminate from the equation dishes aren't getting done get disposable dishes get get plastic or paper and that way you don't have to do the dishes this is something that psychologists actually uh tell people with uh like severe depressive disorders because uh what's described there is uh sometimes the inability to do simple tasks like well i, I say simple in quotes simple tasks like do dishes and uh or make yourself food um and there's a resolution of like clever loopholes you can't make a sandwich for yourself honey just eat the different individual sandwich components by themselves without putting them together eat a little bit of meat eat a little bit of cheese eat a slice of bread you don't have to construct the sandwich. If the dishes can't be done, go ahead and get disposable ones for now. Sorry, Mother Earth, we'll try to recycle. But you see what I'm getting at here. In today's technology era, in service era, there are a lot of things that we can delegate outside of ourselves. That we can kind of directly control. Like, uh, there's automatic dog bowls if, if you can't feed your dog uh, on time or pet on time. Uh, things like that. Sympathetic technology systems. Find the things that you can hack in that way. The, the immediate things that you have control over. And that helps. Because suddenly, Brenda's burden is a little lifted. And you still are able to do your things as well without overextending yourself. Uh, to a degree 
And again, and this was a like a little haphazard uh, example, but I hope you can apply that methodology here. Now, um, another example, because we're going to make it sexy now. We're going to make it very sexy. <sighs> now, this one is hard because the example I came up with here is where a lot of sexual relationships that also have romantic ties can suffer. Uh, what if a partner is into something you're not into? What do you do? Well, the same rules apply. What's the core need? What is the core need? When, you're, when your person tells you, hey, I want you to tie me up and spit in my mouth. <laughs> Slap me around a little. What are they asking for you? There, there is there is a certain element of power and control there. Okay, like what what do you have in there? Like what do you need? And examine yourself. Are you are you capable of doing this? What are you capable of offering? Can you try it? Let's look into it. Okay, yeah, cool. I can I can try. Let's explore this together. But what if it's not your thing? I mean, again, we acknowledge the need. We present your position. And then we seek solutions together. Is there something else that can satisfy and address the core need directly? In this case, is there a sex worker you can hire? Like a, a professional dominatrix? Professional dom? Is there something you can outsource? If you're not comfortable with that, and I understand. Are there community groups that you can go to for support to see if you can get more information, maybe? And if it's not something you can do, and if it's not something you can provide, I understand that. I always say relationships value isn't all about sex, but sometimes sex is tied to a person's very identity. Especially when we talk about certain types of uh, kink and, uh, and fetish uh, lifestyles. I remember, for me personally, um, BDSM um, is tied to my relationship with control. When I suffered incredibly stressful experiences in my external realities, things that I could not control. I needed, every part of me wanted and needed to explore and digest that in the avenue of a session. And I tried every other way of addressing that need as well. I, I did honestly with my partner attempt to. But it was such an integral part of the healing that needed to happen for me that unfortunately, I mean, my partner did try and wasn't able to um, and uh, wasn't comfortable with me seeking out that experience outside of the relationship either. And I will say that while it wasn't the totality of why things failed, it was a huge, it was a significant portion of why. So that is something that unfortunately does happen on occasion. 
Now, what about a non-romantic example, though, when it comes to sex? So, talking about negotiation and fairness, uh, this kind of ties into the open communication thing. Talk about your turn-ons and fantasies with your sexual partners or, or you know, potential sexual partners right off the bat. I, I love doing this with, like, Tinder, any kind of thing like that. You play a game of freaky go fish right off the bat. <laughs> you in hair pulling? Yeah, go fish. And in anal? Yeah, I got anal. Okay, oh yeah. What about missionary? Yeah, I like that too. Yeah. So, uh, go ahead and put all cards on the table. Participate in the things you guys both like. And if there is nothing that y'all connect on, then why even do it? There will be other hot people, and there's no romantic tie here, so what's the obligation? Why go through something boring and unsatisfying? Why go through that? Put it out there, you never know. You might you might be pleasantly surprised by what you find. Next on the list is economic partnerships. Now, Campbell University described this on their list as a making money decisions together, making sure both partners benefit from financial arrangements, sharing dating expenses, and accepting both partners need to hold a job. Okay, well, now, okay, well, well, Campbell, well, yeah, okay, obviously I have a, <laughs> I have a little bit of a problem with this definition, particularly when it says, uh, I mean, sharing dating expenses and accepting that both partners need to hold a job. I mean, I go Dutch a lot. I split costs of meals and things, but th this isn't the case for everyone. There are different roles in different relationships. And uh, the stay-at-home parent or stay-at-home partner shouldn't be snubbed. They're fulfilling a need or various needs that are just as valid and necessary as bringing in income. There are also people who express their love by being providers and caretakers for kept partners. It's a whole paradigm. It all, and that's what it all depends on. It all depends on the paradigm of the relationship. Remember, again, contractual agreements. It all depends on the agreements that have been set forth beforehand in those negotiations. <laughs> so the problem with this definition and its restriction is that there's an issue of the breeding of contempt. Contempt, I argue, is the antithesis of love. It is the antithesis of intimacy. It is the antithesis of a healthy relationship. Where, uh, let's say in the example, like uh, before with Brenda. Brenda might begin to feel like she does all the work. In, in comparison to you. She's like, Nan, I do so much and you don't do that at all. I, I, I've heard this in my work relationships. I, my section is so difficult. And a lot of times, uh, that's not even necessarily true. We, we are being misled by this, by the magnitude of being within our own situation, the stress skews perception so, uh, this puts this puts weight and makes it feel like the only valid economic partnership 
is one that's that brings in things financially. But no, there are other, I'd say like even emotionally economics, like we're, when we're talking about things that we exchange um, and shared responsibility, which is the next one, spoilers, there are other things that are valuable in a relationship. And as long as like people aren't struggling, then we have to be careful about feeling like work and what we do is more important than the other labors and other efforts that are put forth here. Like if I were to turn around and be like, Brenda, I bring the bread for this family. How dare you say that you strumpet? <laughs> Something like that. No, please never, never say inflammatory mean things to your to your significant others, <laughs> to your partners. But um, that's that's that comes from contempt. It's like I, my job, my input, my, what I put in is far more valuable than what you do. We don't want to do that. What what's happening here is a loss of respect. A loss of respect and esteem breeds contempt. And contempt, again, is the antithesis of love. So what I think makes for a good economic partnership in a healthy relationship is, look, as long as nobody is taking advantage of or exploiting the other's finances, or no partner is enacting financial abuse as an unfair manipulation of power, baby, you're Gucci. You're fine. Sorry about that, uh, sorry about that getting steamed up there, Brenda. Now, how do we make it sexy? Well, uh, there's, a uh, sugar daddies, mummies, and babies. They, they all have to do with money. Also, uh, hey, sex work. That is a sex and economic issue here. Like, sex work is real work. We're gonna put that right here. That's a sexploration's hot take. Sex work is real work. Bah, bah, bah. And a uh, shameless butt plug. That's also going to be an episode. <laughs> um, but, but Adelina, you may say, what about the exploitation of finances? Nah. Listen, when you're paying for sex work, you're paying for a valid service. The terms are clear. There is no exploitation. But, and, um, yeah, again, we're going to get to that in an episode all its own. So like I said, coming up next on this list is shared responsibility. Now, here's here's where Campbell gives an, another weird definition. Um, is it uh, shared responsibility is that making decisions together, splitting or alternating costs on dates. What? There that goes again. Does that belong here? Being mindful of other person's needs as well as your own. Doing things for each other, going places you both enjoy, and giving as much as you receive. Okay, Campbell, that's, uh, I wouldn't say that's necessarily responsibility so much as it is mindfulness and consideration. Now, every relationship and uh, arrangement has requirements that help it to function, whether they be financial or emotional or, or other duties, you know. Shared responsibility means taking a look at what needs to be done and the strengths and weaknesses of your partners and distributing these tasks in a way that helps you cooperatively work together to keep things afloat, keep the machine running smoothly. Everyone, everyone upholds their end of the duty stick. <laughs> duty stick, yes. 
it's tied to trust and esteem there too. Uh, but I think what it is at its core is a, it's an economic exchange of effort. Of effort, time, and attention, I would say. And uh, when expressed in a healthy way, this is balanced according, again, to the capabilities of each individual. And again, these are things that are hashed out and, and established as part of the negotiation, the open communication, the trust and honesty. All of these things, if you notice, lead into one another. They build off of one another. I don't know if they did that on purpose, but hey, I like it. So how do we make shared responsibilities sexy? Hmm. So, uh, one example I thought of right off the bat is, uh, say you're engaged in open relationships, um, or any type of CNM here. It's making sure that, uh, everyone's healthy. Everyone is healthy. Nobody has any STIs. Uh, and that means, uh, you know, getting frequent STI tests and, or using protection with outside partners. Um, so your duty in that relationship, <laughs> there's that word again, is to get tested and use protection. So if one person isn't upholding their part of the exchange, this can have terrible, severe consequences for all the other partners involved. The, it's important to maintain and uphold your part of that duty stick. Hold it. Grasp it. Sniff it a little. <laughs> Uh, another example is, uh, uh, can be found in a uh, BDSM. I, I know I talk about that a lot. I know, <laughs> but you know what? I, there's so much misinformation out there. I just, I, I gotta sneak it in. I, I gotta. So when discussing limits and giving feedback throughout session, it's important that all parties, especially submissives, be honest. Here we go with that honest communication again with how they feel about what's going on at all times. I mean, failing to do so, it, I mean, it could be incredibly detrimental to their mental, physical, and emotional well-being. And also, I mean, on top of that, it's a betrayal to the dominant party, whose role relies on implementing control or power methods under the predisposition that the submissive enjoys and is genuinely benefiting and consenting, again, to the exchange in a safe, consensual way. So the duty for the sub is to be honest. Don't try to appease at your detriment, no matter what. And the Dom, their duty is to earnestly respect your sub, and the goal is their consensual pleasure. And both of their duties is honest communication here. That's shared responsibility. That that's when I say duty, responsibility can be exchanged there as well. Coming up next is shared power so with your powers combined uh you summon a blue eco-friendly man no, i'm just kidding i'm that's kevin planet reference yeah, just full of pop culture references today now uh i actually uh really like their definition for this one so i'm gonna read it for you right now um for shared power they say in general each person has an equal say in the relationship although at um, although at some at one time, oh, they got a typo in there, mm, fucking me up. Although at at some time or another, one person may have greater say because of more information or experience in an area. 
Each is mindful of the other's needs and wants, as well as your own. Look at you. Good job. The individuals view themselves as part of a couple that brings each person more happiness and allows each to be stronger. I mean, this already has a lot of what we've been saying here. And uh, if you get rid of the restrictive mononormative, oh, mononormative did. Did I just make up a word? I think I just made up a term. Mononormative, that's monogamy as the normative thing. <gasps> Neologism, I, I, I made a jism, guys. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we get rid of the restrictive mononormative language there, the couple thing, and we're Gucci. Uh, it also touches upon the concept of compersion there at the end, which I am a huge fan of. And uh, for those of you wondering what compersion is, it's basically the opposite of a Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Uh, hmm. Natty, if you're listening, please, uh, out there in Germany, please help me with this word. Schadenfreude. Or anyone else listening who knows uh, German, please go ahead and... Uh, Email me at askaddyadler at gmail.com and uh, let me know. How do you pronounce this? Okay. Um, so, which is, you know, taking delight at the misfortune and pain of others. Um, instead, it is a... Compersion is an empathetic state of happiness and joy experienced when another individual experiences happiness and joy. And uh, I think this is, a, this is in itself a, a neologism and it's gaining popularity now and i think it kind of stemmed from cnm lifestylists so we're gonna probably talk more about compersion in our episode about cnm or uh maybe in the one dismantling jealousy look at that shameless pop plugs everywhere now how do we make shared power sexy one word baby consent oh yeah consent is hot and it checks off all the things on the list here. Equals say, uh, all of it, like it's perfect. Consent, respecting consent. Oh, hey, re respecting, speaking of respecting. Next on the list we've got, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. It's respect. Let's find out what it means to Campbell. Let's, oh, oh, Campbell, Campbell. Wow, what are you doing? There's. There's just so much here. Uh, hmm. It's bad. Uh, um, they gotta watch their words here. This is where it gets weird. Uh, <laughs> it begins by saying, treat the person as if he or she is a value. <laughs> oh, guys, no. No, darling. They are a value. <laughs> um, and, and also it says here now, find ways to appreciate them for who they are. Baby, if you can't appreciate them to begin with, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> oh my goodness. And I know this this, this is probably harmless. They didn't mean it to come off this way, but darling, like language is important, especially when we're talking about these things. They go on to say, uh, listen to what your partner has to say, listening to her, her listening to her non-judgmentally. Hey. That's a parapraxis. That's another fancy word for Freudian slip there. Yeah, listen to her non-judgmentally. Um, it's okay, but I mean, I like the bits here about listening to each other. That That's good. Hm. Well, I mean, good try, Campbell. 
um, good try, but I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give it a go. How's this, baby? Every person has intrinsic value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And respect is acting in a manner that acknowledges, upholds, and regards that value. Oh, yeah. I like that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good try, though. Once again. Good show, old sport. Coming up next, trust and support. Okay, so they chose to lump trust and support together. And I think that's why the definition they give is a bit all over the place. Um, they really do kind of start just... I feel like they just asked the class and took everything that was said and put it up there. Um, and I already said, I think trust is integral to the relationship in general, to any healthy relationship in general, especially... Um, Everything we've been talking about here are things that support and nurture an atmosphere of trust. It's practically synonymous. So we're just going to talk about support. Okay. So support in my definition here is contributing to somebody else's goals, well-being, or development. In general, that's what it is. Uh, so, like, I mean, what does it look like? Oh, hey, look, another shameless butt plug. Boop. So, uh, hey, Adelina, your podcast is great. I'm going to go to Patreon slash uh, Sexplorations and become a patron. Hey. <laughs> okay, but, Anne, uh, but uh, what does it look like in a relationship, a romantic one, please? Okay, of course. I mean, it's helping your partner maybe finance college or watching their pet as they go off to study. It could be holding somebody accountable. Somebody bullying your lover? Call that person out. Hold them accountable. Stand up. Or it's as simple and subtle as holding a hand or holding space in a moment of fear or vulnerability. That can be huge. That's huge to people. That's, that's support right there, too. Now, uh... What if we make it sexy? Support and sexiness is a uh, can be holding space for people to explore their interests, uh, giving them space to be vulnerable sexually. Like, what if they're uncertain or new at at something they want to try, and they're like, "Hey, I really want to do this, and I'm not really sure how." Me, it's um, being comforting and patient with them. Uh, they they are interested in the idea and. There's going to be awkward moments. I mean, it takes time to get proficient at anything. But being there for the journey and not just avoiding shaming, but also offering encouragement in these vulnerable moments can be huge and life-changing even. These are moments of growth at, at a huge rate. And you can help be a catalyst of that just by offering support and being there for them so we're coming to the end final ones here non-threatening behavior okay well this one seems obvious uh it's where no party threatens the safety and security of uh the other or others uh now i know in the next episode we're gonna talk about maladaptive and unhealthy 
uh, behaviors and uh, characteristics of relationships. But I do want to point out here that abusive behavior can masquerade as false security. Remember, we're building trust in order to feel security so we can become vulnerable and have intimacy, right? So abusive behavior can masquerade as false security. There's a feeling like you have to stay. When you think of somebody who's been in, who is in an abusive relationship or has been in an abusive relationship, you're like, how can you stay with someone who treats you so shitty? How can they stay in a situation like that? It's a lot of times because of this. It's because they've been feel, made to feel like they have to stay. Like the current situation is safer than the alternative. Or they've been convinced that this is as good as I can get. Or as good as I deserve. Who's going to watch you? I'm the only one who can put up with your shit. It's being manipulated to think that you're doing this to yourself. But again, more on this in the episode on unhealthy relationships. Now, sexy. Again, oh my God, we should have a BDSM counter. How many times am I going to talk about BDSM? Look, there's a lot of fake doms out there. There's a lot of non-doms out there. And they try to tell you there are no safe words. And then they don't ask for your limits or completely disregard them. And they feed you the story that a slave has no say or input in what happens to them. And that good slaves just take it and do what they're told. Especially after that 50 gray, 50 shades of gray, 50 gray, 50 shades of gray bullshit, guys. This is, this is utter shit. That's an excuse for abuse. It's a dangerous situation, guys. If you see that out there on FetLife, it's a huge red flag. Do not engage. So what's it look like when it's done right? As a sub, everything that happens to you is on your own terms. On your own terms. Yeah, you can put me in a dangerous situation on my own terms. Your limits are established and respected. There are constant check-ins. There's a stoplight system. Red means absolutely not stop right now. Yellow means, ooh, tread lightly because it's getting a little uncomfortable. And green means, baby, you're good to go. And these happen throughout the session. And this, when you're checking in, it's checking in on your emotional as well as physical state. Aftercare is huge because some of these sessions can be extremely moving and affecting. And uh, aftercare, make sure to bring you back. Bring you back and take care and, and make sure everything's nice, that you, that you feel safe. At no point should you ever feel truly threatened in a dominant submissive relationship. I mean, there's even play styles that, and I say truly threatened because there's play styles that toy with the potential of death. But trust is paramount in those. Holy shit. I mean, there's even contracts. Like, you need to... You need to engage knowledgeably and well and with full awareness of capabilities and capacities all around, okay? Woo. And again, I, I know I've been hitting on the, the BDSM so much, and I'm sorry for our uh, non, uh, you know, our more reserved crowd. But, I mean, it's important, and I, I've seen it out there, and I, I do want to address it. <laughs> All right. Intimacy. Well, we already went over this one. Uh, 
uh, we went over this one a lot in the last episode and it's the ability to let your most personal self become exposed and vulnerable with a person or persons and have them not only accept that but nurture it demonstrative affection towards it physically emotionally and spiritually and, and that's my definition again um they give a weird oh, let, me, let me just read it to you they say intimacy is respecting your partner's boundaries respecting each other's privacy not pressuring your partner and being faithful now that's the most unsexy unintimate definition of intimacy i have ever heard <laughs> that's it's like intimacy from 10 feet away <laughs> so okay um i mean these aren't necessarily bad qualities but again they're not defining the characteristic that's that's not intimacy what those are are forms of respect and autonomy those those are yeah like and that those are good too but no part of intimacy requires any, any of that especially doesn't require faithfulness at all again we already discussed exclusivity and commitment last episode and we already discussed intimacy at like so we're gonna just be like yeah. again nice try campbell and we're gonna move on physical affection oh no 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 and here we are again um because i'll give them a half and half here yes affection no physical because physical affection is not necessary for healthy relationships think about online relationships long distance relationships romantic pen pals the exchange of emotional and intellectual time and attention without the physical part think about our asexual friends over here like i mean i know not all physical affection and touch is sexual in nature but things like that guys there are other ways of expressing affection that are not physical that are still tantamount to having a good healthy relationship so i will say that physical affection is not necessary but affection itself however is and uh, I had a hard time because I want to know, like, oh, how, what exactly is affection then? Because God damn me, I'm a philosopher. God damn me, I was a cognitive psychology student. And <laughs> literally our whole lab was making definitions for these almost abstract concepts. So I wanted to dive in. And goodness, this one was hard. But ultimately i settled on the emotional aspect of attraction the pathos of attraction it's the part that connects to your heart i mean again as an emotion it's really kind of hard to pin down i'm i'm really curious if any of you out there um have a good definition for that or or what you what your two cents would be on that again uh Send it over to me at askaddyadler at gmail.com. So A-S-K-A-D-D-Y-A-D-L-E-R at gmail.com. I'm interested in hearing your feedback on that one because, man, I, I had a few discussions with a few people and it was, it's, it's a toughie. It's a toughie. All right. So let's make affection sexy, guys. All right. Um, listen, it's very important 
to make someone feel wanted and to feel wanted in return. Affection and affectionate behaviors, uh, they do that thing from above that we talked about with the chemicals in your brain. Oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, all these, all these awesome, awesome neurotransmitters just all up in your brain, making you feel good. Mm. Yes. <laughs> now these positive nurturing behaviors that stem from affectionate emotions promote these chemical reactions within us and again, create positive feedback loops. You can express affection in non-romantic sexual encounters because, you know, it's not contingent on a specific certain type of love. Again, love is going to have its whole ass own episode because it gets deep. It gets so deep in there, y'all. So we're going to have to go chase that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if defining uh, affection was a task, defining love is a whole other effort, baby. <laughs> but yeah, you can have um, express affection in non-sexual encounters because making feel someone feel desired and wanted is affectionate. To act with affection is to act with a certain amount of dedication and care to the experience of the other. I like that. And that's talking about to act with affection. It's not affection itself. So consider that in your definitions, y'all. Mm -mm. <laughs> and finally, last and not least, personal integrity. Personal integrity. And you know what? This is one of my favorite ones. Uh, and I'm going to, again, use my definitions. If you guys want to see, by the way, the definitions that uh, Campbell came up with, patrons, I'm going to be posting this uh, source, this resource I used on Patreon for you to look at. In fact, a lot of times going on here forward, I'm going to go ahead and start kind of sharing some of my research and the things where I come up with these with these uh, ideas and stuff like that on Patreon. So yet again, another reason to go check that out. Just saying. Mm -mm. But yeah, getting back to it. Personal integrity here is about not being defined by the partnership or relationship. Don't lose yourself in the midst of others. Remember, you are a whole person with or without that relationship. Value yourself as much as you'd like to be valued. And we talked a lot about checking in with yourself and taking honest stock of your capacities and capabilities throughout this because of this very thing. This is showing respect for yourself. Now, on the flip side, it also comes in not asking too much from your partners and respecting their personal integrity, not asking them to change to suit your ideals. Don't violate their personal integrity. In fact, yeah, let's say it. Each person is inviolable. <laughs> Don't tread on me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, unless you're you know, sort of thing. <clears throat> and there she goes again with the BDSM shit. Fuck, motherfucker. <laughs> oh. <coughs> I'm so sorry, darlings. But basically, their beliefs, their values, their conditions and boundaries, these things can not be transgressed upon disrespectfully. I mean, they can be challenged. Like, again, negotiations, open communication. You don't have to, again, agree with everything that your partner says. Your partner says something problematic. Maybe you can challenge them. 
be like, honey, where did that idea come from? But again, a healthy relationship doesn't attack or undermine these things. This is a part of our identities. These are things that people hold dear to them. Remember that. And trying to attack or undermine, again, we go back to that argument as war. It's trying to, to exert power, to assert our truths. No, we, wanna, we, we want these things to be respected in a healthy relationship. Now, if you find that, you know, a lot of your partner's personal beliefs, values, and all these things and their integrity is uh, at odds with what you believe, um, I, uh, why then are you, <laughs> why are you here though? And here we go with, with again, going back to compromises and, uh, cooperation, all these things are tied here, but, uh, for personal integrity, I guess the final thought on that one on the relationship spectrum is I always talk about pillars and structures when I when I talk about a healthy relationship. I would say that in order for a building to stand well, it has to have a strong foundation based on trust. And each partner has to be a pillar that stands firmly in themselves and what they want and all together they hold up the edifice now again when i use this analogy i'm not saying that there isn't room for weakness or anything like that i'm saying that be sure be strong in yourself and in your value in the value of you respect yourself darling love yourself in that way don't lose yourself in relation. Don't define yourself by your relationship. Don't. I am so and so's husband. So and so's wife. I am so and so's partner. I am. This. Yes, you are all these things, but you are not just these things, baby. You are a myriad. You are a collection. You are a complex, beautiful system of things. Yes, that sounded a very, very te technical all of a sudden. You're like, oh, system, where that come from? <laughs> but you get what I mean. You are all these things. Now, own it. <laughs> now we're going to make it sexy. And uh, for this part, uh, I'm going to go back to a quote that I made a, a while back. We've been taught to believe that so much of our value rested on our sexuality, on our virginity, our virility, our oral skills, how much sex we've had, how much we haven't had, how good we are at it. It has made us cruel, critical, and afraid. Afraid of each other. Afraid of ourselves. While sex can be a beautiful part of what we offer, it should not be over-esteemed as the totality of our value. How many messages have we absorbed about how we should approach our sexuality? How many times have we put up with the discomfort of trying to fit in with those expectations? How many times have we been afraid of losing out on love because someone else will outperform us? Oh no, darlings. Sex shouldn't stress us out. It should be something we relish and delight in. And in order to do that, we have to strip away those prior expectations, get real nice and acquainted with our naked desires. 
and stand firm in the knowledge that if anyone tries to use our sex as a deal maker or a deal breaker, that's not a relationship we want to engage in. We all have more to offer and we are enough as we are. Remember, we are more valuable than the sum of our sex. Thank you guys for uh, joining me on this one here. I know it's a long episode here, but I hope it wasn't too bad. And uh, going through these, I hope you were able to reflect on uh, some of your relationships, the ones that didn't work. Were you able to see why, according to this list? The ones that did work, were you able to pick out the strengths from this list? Some examples there. And uh, just another disclaimer, guys. If, if you have ever messed up with some of these, just know your, your relationship isn't automatically defunct. Note that above, even when I was talking about red flags, I was careful not to make hard claims to the quality of the relationship and be like, if they do this, then get the fuck out. <laughs> like, automatically. No. I mean, no. You know, too many red flags, and you, sh you should probably consider leaving. But, uh, guys, again, to err is human. These failures are opportunities to do better. If there are things that you have learned today that you can improve on, if there are things that you're reflecting on and thinking, hey, hmm, I'm feeling a little bit of guilt. There's that word again. Feeling a little bit of guilt here because I haven't necessarily been doing that or been doing my best on this. All right. It's okay, man. It's okay, darling. How can we improve? Let's start making it better, all right? I want to give a shout out to all my patrons so far. All whopping for you, baby. Uh, special thanks to Devin Tyler. Thank you, boo-boo. And thank you for this uh, ear purifier that's been humming quietly in the background. It's clutch. Thank you, Chris Elliott. And thank you for this little uh, Cerberus plushie that's sitting next to me, being very judgmental and supportive. Thank you, RD Hannah, for being a patron. And also for that wonderful card that you got me for my birthday. Super sweet. Thank you, Emily Sever. Severed? Severed? I, I never asked you how to pronounce your last name. I'm so sorry. I love you. Tell me that next time. <laughs> Thank you, Emily, for just always being a champion in my corner and being so supportive. You know, you know, you, you mean a lot to me. Thank you so much. Thank you to my one-time donors as well. Uh, thank you, Daddy Bruce, Papa Bruce. You're you're the man. I appreciate you always. Thank you to Natty Sunshine. Holy cow. One-time donor. You are a real MVP, and I am so excited to look into working with you in the future and collabing. Also, please, again, help me with that German word, because uh, I uh, embarrassed myself up there. <laughs> uh, thank you, guys. If you'd like to, once again, oh, my God, here comes the third one. Oh, shameless butt plug. Oh, if you'd like to become... <laughs> if that'll catch on eventually i'm gonna do like a soundboard thing with that but uh, if you'd like to be a patron for me uh <laughs> and uh fund my soundboard go ahead and go to www.patreon.com backslash sexplorations that's right uh, and give me a give me a nice little tier follow right there there's a lot of fun little perks to doing it some that i haven't even listed and i'm kind of just making up as i go <laughs> and um stuff like that uh there's two polls already up guys if you are patrons go ahead and check those out please uh i do want to hear your ideas i've got 
a huge list, like 21 topics that and going uh, on episodes that I'm going to make. And I want to hear from you. What, what do you want to know? What do you want to hear about? Tell me that. People who aren't my patrons, you know what? The heck with it. I kind of want to hear from you too. If you want, since it's the beginning, I'm going to let you have a little leeway here. Again, shoot that to askaddyadler at gmail.com. A-S-K-A-D-D-Y-A-D-L-E-R at gmail.com. And thank you guys for joining. On the next episode, we are going to go into, again, the antithesis of this. The foil. Dysfunctional, unhealthy relationships. It might be another long one, guys, so... uh, Strap in and get that ear loop ready. Enjoy ourselves. <laughs> um, again, uh, thank you guys for joining me uh, on this road, on this trip. I hope this has been helpful to you guys. And uh, as always, stay sexy, stay curious. And until next time, Sexplorers. Thank you, babes. <laughs>